So I was, uh, one or two people uh, made the same comment to me because I had kind of planned this for the morning that we had the flood here and couldn't meet. And so people were saying, well, it's okay doing a series on pain to get results, but we haven't got the, the, the end bit that tells us how to do it. So that's what this morning is about. So, uh, yes, you know, this isn't a time for taking our foot off the gas pedal in our faith and our walk with Jesus. This is a time for putting our foot down um, because things are speeding up. And, you know, everywhere I go and, and, and things that I read from people who study these things and hear from other pastors is that one of the things that we are faced with in the body of Christ is, is, is the, the body is taking its foot off the gas pedal en masse. Post-lockdown, um, people just don't seem to have that focus, that centrality of Jesus in their life and, 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 and pushing in. And uh, that, that's not a good sign for, for the body. That's not a good sign in these times. Um, because we won't be able to stand unless we do the things that Jesus tells us to do. And unless we know Jesus. And uh, so it's really important that we, we get hold of practical things so that we can ha get our faith to work in ways that provide supernatural answers to, to natural problems. Uh, and one of the things that, that often stops us in our prayer life is we're looking for natural answers. And so we start to worry and we start to bother and we start to think, how's this going to work out? Oh, it, 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 it's just like, it's what a mess. I can't see any way out of this. I, I feel terrible. I feel this. And, and we look for these natural solutions to what is actually a supernatural problem. The, the, the supernatural world exists and supersedes the natural. And, and one of the reasons we, we find ourselves in the situation we do in the body of Christ is we, we've forgotten to act, how to access the supernatural solutions to natural problems. And, and that's why it's so important that we do practical teaching. Now, by practical teaching, you, you, you've got to understand what I'm saying here. I am not saying self-help. That's really important because we, we talk a lot about let's make it practical, let's make it relevant. No, we're looking for supernatural answers and so self-help doesn't help. Self-help is what God is here. And, and if, if as a church and if as the body of Christ we teach self-help, then it's not helpful because, because we're not doing well. The world is not doing well at this moment. So we don't want a self-help solution. We want a practical solution. By practical teaching, I mean, how do we live this? How does this work in my life? How do I take what in, it says in here, use it, live it, and affect the world around me to change the outcome? Because the only way we change the outcome is to live supernaturally. And so when we talk about praying to get results, we're talking about supernatural answers to natural problems. 
So, you know, if I, if I looked around today and if I did a survey and I said, he's got a natural problem right at the moment, we, I think most people would be able to think of one. Yeah? Do you agree? Who's got a natural problem? Let's do the survey. Who's got a natural problem right at the moment? Now, here's the question. Have you been anxious about that? Have you been worried about it? Is it? Are you dwelling on it? Are you thinking about it? Are you fearful about it? Well, that's a natural response to a natural problem. But we have to learn to be supernatural responders to natural problems. And so that's what this is about. These aren't things that are self-help ideas or a nice little series to put on your filing cabinet. This is how Jesus and the apostles teach us to pray to get results that provide supernatural answers to natural problems. And so, just to remind you, because it's actually six weeks since I did the last of these, so it's quite a while. So just to remind you, just in case you, you are not Dennis and you haven't got every single word that proceedeth from the mouth of Mark written down, I'll just remind you about the first three things we talked about. I'm not going to go into any detail on them. But the first one is this. What is it that you want? We, we have to be specific. You know, a, a general prayer doesn't get an answer. Specific things are what is an, we need answers to. And, and when you put your hand up, like, have you got a natural problem? You're thinking of a specific thing. And you need a specific answer to that. So you need to write down and think about what is it that I'm looking for God to do in this situation and ask specifically for that. Now, the second thing, find where God promises it to you. In here, there are many, many covenant promises. And God is a covenant-making God. That means he's bound himself to answer in the way he says he's going to answer and respond in the ways he says he's going to respond. He's decided to do it that way. I might have decided different. God's decided to do it that way. But if we can find God promising us it in here, we can have it. If he doesn't promise it, you can't have it. For instance, he doesn't promise to override people's free will so that you can just like sort everything out and that problem person at work and all the rest of it. He doesn't promise that. So... We need to focus on what he promises specifically and say, God, you promised that. I'm reminding you, you promised that. You promised that. That's in your covenant. You say you won't break your covenant, so I'm believing for your covenant. And then we believe him. But in believing, we have to do something with that belief, and that is ask. We have to speak. And, and when we, we speak and we ask, we find a God who gives us mercy and gives us and releases his grace into our life. So we don't find an angry God. We find a God that if we're open and honest with him, that he gives us mercy. That means we don't get what we deserve. But he also releases grace, which means we get what we don't deserve. And that, that's, that's where the answer is. Grace is what Jesus has paid for. Jesus fulfilled the old covenant, in order to enter into a new covenant of relationship in which God has promised certain things for those who love him. These things don't work for people who don't love Jesus and don't love God. They work for those who love him. 
God doesn't work all things out for the good of those who can't be bothered. God doesn't work everything out for the good of those that think about God occasionally. He, he, he says, I work all things out for those who love me, who, who, who really have a relationship with me. And that's why relationship is so important, but relationship is so intertwined with the area of prayer that, that you, you can't have one without the other. So we can't, we can't pray excluding relationship. We pray from an existing relationship. Does that make sense? So what is it you want? Find where God promises it and ask. So in asking, now what's the problem? You might say, well, okay, we've got to this point of asking. So Jesus said, when you pray, believe that you receive. And any of us can believe for two seconds. We can just like blot out everything that's going on around us and believe for two seconds. The problem comes when there's a gap between what we pray for and us seeing the answer. Everybody... To just uh, Maybe I'm wrong, but I think everybody in this room would like to be prayed for this morning and receive an answer within one second. Not how it works. Sometimes it does, particularly in the area of healing, although not always in that area. But the reality is that, that God, to get you your answer, often has to move lots of things around. So there's something that goes with your faith that you need, which, which, which makes your faith endure. And that's called patience. Now, the devil is not nice. He's not helpful to you. He knows that. He knows that if you don't dig your faith up, if your faith endures, if you are patient, you have to see what God promised because God will not break his promise. So his, his ground of attack and where he wins so often with us as believers, like really high percentage success on this one, is to attack in that gap. Now, he can't say to you, don't be patient. Now, I'm not a patient person, so maybe, you know, that, I, I have a problem with that one because I like things to happen. But he doesn't go, don't be patient. What he does is he, he attacks you with something else. Now, let, let's just put some scripture on this. So back in my, my friend James, here, here he goes. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Ah, that's where we don't want to get. We don't want to get into the doubting. So we can ask in faith for a few seconds, but what, what happens in that gap? And the gap, he's gonna, the, the enemy is going to try and get you to do doubt. Okay, you've got to understand that. This is how he works. So he's going to try and get you to doubt. For he who doubts, so if he gets you into doubt, this is what happens. You're like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That means that you're the sort of person that is moved all the time by how you feel, what you see right in front of you, what you're looking at, what you're hearing, what you're listening to, and it all gets too much for you, and that becomes the organiser and motivator of your life. That, that's a person who's tossed to and fro by the wind. And there's a lot of wind around, but let me give you some... The gospel's good news, but let me just give you a little bit of bad news. Sometimes 
in the prophetic working out that God is, is doing, there's some bad things that occur. And, and we're, we're heading into a lot of wind. We've, we've, we've had this wind building for two or three years now, but it, it's not stopping. It's getting quicker now. And so let not... So this, the person who's got over into that doubt, moved around by the winds and, and, and everything and, and the emotions and the feeling and like the overwhelming sense. Let not that person suppose they will receive anything. Why? Because you've moved out of faith into doubt. Doubt does not get grace to work. We receive by faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. And so doubt contaminates that faith. For he's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. That's a really important phrase because what it's saying is if you allow yourself to be moved by everything that is going on, you don't have a stable foundation for your life. And, and so you'll always feel out of balance that life's just like, one thing after another, and you're not making head, any headway. And that is why God says to us in his word, now remember we're trying to be practical, so we've got to take this seriously. God says to us in his word, guard your hearts and guard your minds. He says it lots of times. So when he says something lots of times, you think it would be important. So we need to pay attention. He's saying guard your heart and guard your mind. And, and the reason for this is the way that the enemy gets us to doubt and he moves us out of that moment of faith into doubt, the way he does it is to bring something into our life called fear or anxiety or worry. They're just different levels of fear, but they're all fear. Now, he, here's something that's really important for you to realize. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is, well, in a sense, fear is faith. It's faith in the wrong things. It's faith in the ability of something to harm you. Faith in the ability of something to mess you up. Faith in the ability to say, uh, faith, it, it, it's faith that the, the bad outcome is going to happen. It's faith, and the, the enemy all the time is saying, God's not going to come through for you. God's not going to come through for you. Now, of course, we have to do what God tells us. We, we have to trust him. We have to trust him with our lives. We have to trust him with our finances. We have to trust him with our health. We trust him with our relationships. But the enemy said, he, all the time, he's trying to do what he did with Adam and Eve, which he said God can't be trusted. But God is a covenant-making God who will not break his promises and can always be trusted. And so we need to kick back with that. And we need to organize our lives around that principle. Because it's saying fear is, is faith. It's negative faith. It's faith in the negative things. And, and when faith gets bigger than your faith or trusting, fear gets bigger than your faith or trusting God, then that blocks your answer to prayer. You've got, got to get this. The thing that is stopping the answer to prayer is that fear and anxiety and worry has got bigger than your trust in God. God's not the one who's moved here. God's not the one who's changing with circumstances. God's not modifying his promises. 
But when your fear and your anxiety and your worry get bigger than you trust in God, that blocks the answer to prayer. That's what James is saying. Now, so here, here we, we face with like this conundrum. Because James says don't doubt, and yet doubts come. Who's doubted? You can own up. I, I'm not taking this, you know, I'm not going to tell you off at the end. You terrible doubters, you backsliders. We all doubt at times. Now, here's the thing. Doubts will always come. Because that's what the enemy is trying to push towards you. Doubts will always come. You can't stop doubts coming. You will always have the opportunity to accept or agree with that doubt or disagree with that doubt. The doubt is not the issue. The, the problem is if you accept it and agree with it, that it becomes an issue. So you, 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 you can disagree with this because we have to recognize, because we're looking for supernatural answers, we're operating in a supernatural world. The enemy is pushing doubts at us all the time. So we, we have the opportunity to decide what we're going to do with this. Because we have a very real personal enemy and he's after stealing from you. He wants to steal your stuff. He wants to steal your friends. He wants to steal your dreams. He wants to steal your faith. And ultimately, he wants to kill and destroy whatever he can get his hands on in your life. So he's going to come with doubts and fears and worries and anxieties, and he's going to come through others. He's going to come through family with that. Some of the biggest doubters I ever met were my parents. Everything was going to go bad. He's going to come through dreams and nightmares and thoughts and suggestions. And here's the bad thing. He's going to come through other Christians who are walking in the flesh. And that's going to be the biggest. Who tell you this won't work. Oh, no, it didn't work for me. I prayed and prayed and it didn't work for me. I knew it wouldn't. Well, there you go. It didn't. Because we don't just speak, we've got to believe. And so we have to be really careful hanging around baby believers. And we have to, you know what, one of the, the, I think the, the biggest problem we have in the church is that we haven't recognized that we're, for the bulk of us are hanging around people who don't believe that the word actually works. And so we've repl re replaced that with self-help. And it's a tragedy of our generation. We let this happen, guys. You can't stop doubts coming, but you don't have to accept them. And God, God showed me some things about this when I was thinking about this. It's, it's, a, it's a while now since I was thinking about this originally. And he spoke these, these words into my spirit. And I'll, I'll, I wrote them down at the time, so I'll tell you what he said. He said this. You will not stop doubts coming. They will always come. But you can resist and refuse those doubts any right to form your thinking. You can learn to doubt your doubts. 
I'll read that again. You will not stop doubts coming. They'll always come. But you can resist and refuse those doubts any right to form your thinking. You can learn to doubt your doubts. And that's the fourth principle, the one that goes after ask. Refuse doubt and fear. So how do you do that? Because it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. Now, here's the thing. We, we actually have to do it. And, and sometimes <laughs> that's kind of a hard thing because we're not used to doing what it says in here. You know, the, the Bible tells us all sorts of things. Like it says, don't say this. And the minute we get to the coffee table, we're already saying it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know it's got stuff in here that we have to actually start living by. You know, like, I just think it's, it's one of the biggest words we've heard. And I, 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 I think it came out by accident for us. We have to up our game and start living what is in here. Really, we do. And so how do you learn to doubt your doubts? You dwell on the answer instead of dwelling on the problem. So you've got to do that. It's not by osmosis. You know, there's a lot of Christians that say, oh, I just need to rest. No, you need to fight. You need to fight the fight of faith and refuse doubt and fear. You need to step into things. You can't just rest. You enter the rest, which means it's Jesus' completed work, but you do that by fighting to get there. And... Somehow we've got this apathy in the body of Christ that just says, oh, Jesus loves me. It'll all be fine. And it's not. And we go, why is it not fine if Jesus loves me? Because we're not doing what it says in there and using the principles Jesus has said, this is how you receive your covenant blessings. So we dwell on the answer instead of dwelling on the problem. And if what you're hearing in your head and from other people does not agree with God's word, you don't have to accept it. That's why we have to know God's word. Self-help books and self-help sermons are not God's word, or they might have a couple of verses thrown in. We have to know God's word so we know what to refuse and accept in our thinking. The Christian life is a life of fighting to have your mind transformed until you think like God, not to be moulded into the ways of the world. And church, we can't run church on the basis of moulding people into self-help ideas of the ways of the world. Because here's what the world is going to say to you. Look after yourself. How good a job are you doing of looking after yourself? Basically, I, what you say when you say, look after yourself, you're saying, I don't care about you at all. I haven't got the love of Christ for you. You are on your own, guys. Do we think about what is coming out of our mouth? How many times this week have you said, look after yourself to somebody? And you think like, man, what I just said is, I don't give a monkeys about you and you're on your own. That's self-help. Be good to yourself. No. This is what Jesus says. Love me. Deny yourself. Lay down your life for me. 
Why? Because he's the only one who can supernaturally make sure that you're going to be okay. So when stuff gets you anxious, just calm down. Just go and lock yourself in a dark room. Let your thoughts be quiet. If they won't be quiet, tell them off. Not really, tell them off. Because what you're telling is off is the one that's putting those thoughts in your head. Take a word check. Is what you are feeling and what you're thinking about and what you're hearing, is it in line with the word of God? If it is, you should embrace it and get excited about it and put your faith right behind it and say, I'm going for that. If it isn't, you've got to resist it. And how, how do you resist that? Well, you consciously speak it out. Because yeah. our battle's not against flesh and blood, even our own flesh and blood. Yeah. And you say, you say this, enemy, this is what God showed me to say when he was talking about learning to doubt my doubts. He says, say this, enemy, I've had enough of you trying to mess up my life. You're not stealing from me any longer. I recognize what you're up to, and now I am telling you, I am standing my ground for as long as this takes to see the promises of God come through in my life. And you will not stop those because my God is faithful. Amen? Dwell on the answer. Feed your soul on the answer. Speak the answer out of your mouth. And when you do that, you'll find that faith comes. I, I, I don't know why it works that way, but God says it works that way, and it does work that way. You'd think he knew what he was doing, wouldn't you? But, but when you dwell on the answer, feed your soul on the answer, and speak out the answer, faith comes. The Apostle Paul told us this. He told us the weapons of our warfare, because that's what we're talking about, are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down the strongholds, casting down arguments. Strongholds are ingrained worldly beliefs. Arguments, all that tripe and that people are advising you. That's what he's talking about. So our weapons can pull down strongholds, casting down arguments, and everything, just in case it wasn't in the first two, every high thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. Knowing that God is good, he is faithful, he loves you, he's blessing you. And bringing every thought into captivity to Christ. If it doesn't, if it doesn't line up with what God has said, with what Jesus has said, it's not God, it's not Jesus. So we need to recognize and say, I'm not going to organize or run my life on the basis of that. I rebuke that thought. You've got no part of me. I'm standing my ground and I am going to do what Jesus tells me to do in this book until I see my answer. And I am not stopping. I have not seen what God told me we would see through this church when we started it and Les and Joy started it with us. We have not seen what he's promised us. But I am standing my ground till I see it because time is running out and he promised 
certain things to us, and we're going to see them. We're going to see a people of uncommon faith. That means a people who aren't like the rest of the church because they operate in a different type of faith that takes God at his word, trusts him for the answers, and sees supernatural solutions to natural problems. That's who we are. A people who know their Jesus. Not know about their Jesus, but know their Jesus. Who have a relationship with their Jesus and pray out of that relationship. That's what we're about. And that's just so important. So, when you pray, believe that you receive, resist the devil, and refuse doubt and fear. Number four. Got excited there. Now, here's, here's one. I'm going to warp your brains a bit. Prepare to be warped. Beam me up, Scotty, on this one, okay? Some of you like, goes, what's he on about? Do you not remember? No, no, you probably don't remember Star Trek, do you? <laughs> Beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, okay. Number five. I'll tell you this one up front. And then I'll tell you why it's there. You have to prepare to succeed, not prepare to fail. Most of us live our everyday life and our everyday work life and, and so on, just trying to avoid failure. Making sure we, we, we focus so much on not having a bad outcome. The problem with that is that you are doing a natural solution to a natural problem. And the devil operates in the realm of failure. So we dance into his tune when we play that game. So the Christian prepares his life to succeed. Why? Because God's not going to fail. So we prepare our life to succeed. You know, when I, I was in business, we, we would devote, and I'm sure Paul does this, and other people in business do it all the time. We just devote inordinate amounts of time to strategy meetings, trying to understand the things that could go wrong. And we would have things called worst-case scenarios. Even now, like when we do the annual budget, which we kind of do uh, after Christmas, because our church year end is end of April, and so we do this annual budget. Even now, we have a worst-case scenario because that keeps the Charity Commission happy and it keeps Paul happy. So I'll come up with a budget and Paul will knock 10% off everything that we want to give that I'm not allowed to spend <laughs> because we have worst-case scenarios. Because in some sense, you have to, you know, in, in, in the way that the Charity Commission works and, and the way that our world works, you have to keep these people at their distance, so you have to do the things. But in reality, we, we should be thinking, what happens if Jesus tells us to do this and our giving needs to double? That's how we should be thinking. God told me to do this. Where's your provision, God? There's your problem. Jesus, how are you going to provide? Well, the world looks really bad and, and, and it's terrible and, it, and it's out there and it's all awful. No, Jesus just told me to do this, so he's got a plan. He says he's my provider. He says he blesses me. He says that I can prosper when everybody around me is not prospering. 
You know, we, we have to live this. Shovel and I lived this for years and it works. Supernatural answers are not achieved by natural means or natural ways. And, and so often, now just let me get this through, so often we live and carry out our prayer life praying to try and get God to do something that we think would work out our problem. So in other words, God, here's my answer to this problem that's in my life. So if you can do that, I could believe you. So we're always looking for God to answer the prayer that way. And he's going, I'm not answering that way. So right at the moment, I'd share this with you. So we've, we've, we're in one of these bizarre moments where we got a direct answer from God and now we can't work out what he's doing. Okay, so you know we've, we've, been try, we've, we've had our house on the market and the housing market, to say the least, is very, very quiet. You know, we, we've got several friends who've had no viewings for three or four months on their properties that they're trying to sell. Even my dentist is trying to sell his property. And, and he, you know, when I'm there with my mouth open and all the clamps on, he's telling me about his difficulties because nobody's coming to look at his property. And I'm going, oh, it's the same thing with me. <laughs> and, and it's like that. Anyway, so Cheval and I were going like, do we take it off? And do we think actually God's telling us not to move? Because we just want to do what God says. And, and so we are on holiday and I, I, just something leapt in my spirit. And this was about a week ago, and it left in my spirit and said, I think God's just told us that we should pray that we'll have a viewing before we get back, and, and so we'll know. So we prayed in the car on, on, on the seafront in Calavajada, having it at our tapas, and we prayed. And sure enough, two days later, we got a viewing booked. We haven't had one for three months. And he's kind of like, oh, God's going to sell out. So this guy comes and he views the house and he says, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Love it. 10 out of 10. Uh, I've got to sell mine. And it's not built yet. I haven't finished building it. And it's not. <laughs> okay, so we do that. And we think, right, okay, well, God answered that prayer. We paid it. God answered our prayer. And then on that same day, we heard that the one we want to buy is sold. And we go, Actually, we didn't. We're fine. We're okay. Like, okay. But can you see, we're trying to work out what God is doing. We, we had a master plan that somebody was going to buy our house just in the nick of time for us to get the other one that's just been finished, being built. And it hasn't happened. So God's got a different plan. We can't dictate to God our answers. But we do have to imagine success. You see, we're incredibly blessed. We're all blessed. We've got roofs over our heads. You know, we've got clothes. We've got food. You've got running water, yes. We've got inside toilets. When I was a kid, for the first 10 years of my life, I had no inside toilet. We shared toilet in a yard with three other houses. I'm blessed. My toilet flushes. I don't have to pour buckets of icy water down it. On somebody else's. I don't have to do that. So we prepare to succeed, <laughs> not prepare to fail. 
Let me tell you, you are a faith person, not a fail person. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them they're a faith person, not a fail person. Now believe it. Attach your faith to that. God didn't design you for failure. God designed you to trust him and become a blessed person. So you are a faith person, not a fail person. And if you've, if you've followed all these previous steps in what I've been talking about, then you are absolutely justified in preparing to succeed. You've you, you, you got to understand that. You are absolutely justified in preparing to succeed. And here we go. Well, Mark, now you're getting into all that positive thinking self-help stuff. So now I need to explain myself, don't I? Like, I'm not talking about positive thinking, although it is positive thinking. But it's not positive thinking in the absence of a supernatural solution. It's positive thinking in the presence of a supernatural solution. Now, here's, here's what's important, because the kingdom never works, never ever has worked, and never ever will work by negative thinking. If you don't like the phrase positive thinking, just say, I'm not a negative thinker. Go on, say that out. I'm feeling like I need noise this morning. I'm not a negative thinker. I'm a positive thinker. So, how do you become Mr. and Mrs. Negatives out there and Mr. Negative up here at the front? How do I become positive? How do I see myself succeeding? How do I see God coming through for me? I need to change what's going on in here. So much of our unanswered prayer and prayer that doesn't get results is a result of what is going on here. Because we've got over into fear and doubt and anxiety. Or oh, we never even knew it was promised. I, I just like... I, I, it, Cheryl knows this, but I have one thing that really, really gets to me. And it's the fact that believers right across our nation do not know God and his word. Because they know church. And they know the organization. And they know serving. And that's all good things. But we have to know his word. TikTok, Instagram and Facebook and 15-minute sermons are not the way you learn the word. Sorry. Just not. I've noticed a new trend on Instagram and Facebook. People putting up quotes, attributing them to God, and they're not in the Bible. They don't know that. Be good to yourself. Where's that in the Bible? No. Anyway. That upsets me. So what do you do? You, you change your thinking. You do this cumulatively by meditating on the word. What's, what's meditating? Meditating is reading the word of God, seeing something 
as you're reading, it jumps out of you, and just mulling that over, like not moving on, just mulling it over. Let God show you. Let God bring revelation through the Holy Spirit into your heart and your thinking. Cumulatively, meditatively in the Word. Positively, so cumulatively by meditating in the Word, positive action you can take, attuning you to the power of God by remembering what he's already done and remembering what he said. So meditate the word, remember what he's done, remember answers to the prayer. That's why we do testimonies. And then, this is the third one. This is the, the one that kind of leaps out and, and we dismiss because, in a way, the world has stolen this and confused it. And, and we might have an initial reaction to this, but we need the power of imagination. How many of you have imagination? We all have imagination, don't we? So let's just take a leap and assume that God gave us that for a good purpose. Now, I'm not talking about the negative purpose. I'm not talking like using your imagination to create the next Disney movie, okay, or the next YouTube hit. I'm talking about using your imagination for the purpose that God gave you it for. And you go, oh, man, that's gone all weird and deep and crazy now. But no, I haven't. I'm just reading my Bible. Is that okay? Can I read my Bible and just use it? Yeah? Romans one twenty one says this, because when they, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart darkened. So that says that the problem that the world has and believers have living with the flesh is we become vain or useless in our imaginations. So there, there must be a non-vain imagination because we became vain in our imagination. So there must be one that Adam and Eve had that was a non-vain imagination and the one that my born-again spirit has and you were born with, uh, born again with, which is you've got a positive imagination. And here's the, here's the thing, your imagination, whether you like it or not, is working all the time. But the question is, is it benefiting you or working against you? Because all the stuff, good stuff that goes through your head comes from your imagination. And all the bad stuff that you have in your nightmares and your worries and your anxiety, it's from your imagination. In fact, most of your worries, most of your fears, most of your anxieties are caused by things that will never, ever happen, but you've imagined them. So imagination can work both ways. Here, I'll show you that I'm biblical, okay? I haven't gone like mad in Mallorca. I'm biblical. Here's we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Verse I love. Teach it on rock solid. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we take the vain imaginations and make the thoughts obedient to Christ. Why is this really important? Because I'm talking about the ability to see the unseen. Because remember, the Bible repeatedly tells us to look at the things that cannot be seen until they manifest in the reality of our lives. How do you look at the things that can't be seen if you're not using the eyes of your heart or your imagination? 
So when I read God's word, it's okay for me to imagine what it's like in heaven when the word is describing what it's like in heaven. It's all right for me to imagine God answering my prayer because he's promised he'll answer my prayer when it's in line with his word and his promises. Paul prays for the, the, the Ephesian believers and this is another verse we, we know and we love and we cherish but we, we need it now to work for us. And it says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened so that you may know. Where are the eyes of your understanding? In your imagination. So we need enlightening in those eyes. So that being enlightened, we might know what is the hope he's calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. So this preparing to succeed, seeing in line with the promises through the eyes of our understanding, through the, our spirit eyes, that releases our faith. It transforms our mind. It transforms our thinking. It renews our mind. It changes our outcomes. It changes our results. So using our imagination in such a way is both creative and captive to Christ. Seeing in line with the word of God focused on Jesus himself as the answer. Let me just give you a, a couple of examples of this so you can understand how it works. When I was at uh, university, I shared, well, I, I was in the next room to a guy who was in the same college as me called Andy. And Andy wasn't a believer. And, and I was. And I just discovered baptism in the Spirit and all the rest of it. And I, and I discovered this verse about the eyes of my heart being opened and about imaginations and I started to understand that actually I could receive wisdom from God as I was praying so I'm praying for Andy to become a believer and I, I'm talking to Andy each day because he was unfortunately for him not only was he in the next room to me this is like a nightmare if you're an unbeliever not, not only in the next room to me same kitchen as me and on the same course as me, on the same table. Bad news, Andy. So I'm, I'm witnessing to Andy and praying for Andy, and, and I'm going like, God, he seems like that. Every time I talk to him, he seems further away than, than, than he's ever been. Like, and I said, God, you need to show me what's happening. I, I need to understand what's happening in the supernatural, not what's happening in the physical. Because in the physical, this isn't looking good. He's not a prime candidate for the kingdom. In fact, he's not even a prime candidate for talking to me at the moment. But, you know, and, and he, we need him in the kingdom. Otherwise, he's going to perish. And so I said, God. So every time I prayed for, for Andy in my little university bedroom, I would wait and i go, show me the condition of Andy's heart. And so I... And God showed me just blackness. And I go, okay. Got my eyes shut. That could be the explanation for blackness. Because I'm, I'm, I'm new in this thing. And so I, I then went and witnessed to Andy the next day. And I go, 
go back in my bed. Show me the condition of his heart. And I got this blackness, but I showed a little chink of light. And I'm going, that's really strange because he was horrible to me today. But you show me the condition of his heart. And, and so by doing that, I was able to see what were the things that the Holy Spirit was using to speak to him directly. And, and so the more and more light I saw, the more confident and more full of faith I became that Andy was going to get saved. And he did get saved. And I ended up sharing a house with him for five years when we left university. And he's still saved. He lives in Manchester, so he's still in the wet country. But he's saved. You know, he hasn't seen the light to come and save the South yet. <laughs> and he's no longer an accountant. He's retired. He works for the Nazarene College. And so he's not a Nazarene, but that's where he works. That's where his job is. So that's cool. And just uh, another one. I, um, before we went on holiday, this is a really quick one, because I do this every time I'm praying for somebody to be healed. So, uh, he's not here today. I think he's in America, Jürgen's. And um, so we, we went around to Jürgen and Anine's uh, life group. And uh, Jürgen's had been, somebody had run into him and injured his chest. We, we were, he wasn't sure whether, he, see, the, there's two medics there. There was Marcus there, Jürgen's there. They couldn't agree whether he had a broken rib or not. You know, he was, but it was sore. It was sore. We didn't know because they didn't do the examination. And so, we, we prayed for Jürgen's uh, chest and his pain. And uh, so I put my hand on. Now, what am I doing when I'm praying? I'm praying, speaking out my faith. But at the same time, I am asking God to show me a picture of what I'm believing for taking place. So I see God taking away inflammation. I see him lining up tendons. I see him repairing damaged muscle. I see him knitting together broken bone. And Jürgen's, so I said, what are you feeling, Jürgen's? Because I'm seeing this. And he said, I'm feeling heat. I've never felt hot like that before. And so I, I put my hand on everybody else and it was cold. So it wasn't me. And, and it, you, you see, we can prepare to succeed and see success. We look at the things that are unseen until they are seen. We don't look at the things that are seen as if they always will be. And that's the mistake we make as Christians. We are looking at what is seen and thinking it always will be and how do I chart my way through it? You don't chart your way through it. You have no solution to it. This world is completely off the rails. You have no solutions. I have no solutions. The world has no solutions. Otherwise, it would fix itself and it's not doing. We need God's solutions. So the, so the key to this, you know, it says, while we do not look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So what are we looking at? Are we looking and preparing to succeed in our, our imaginations, in our inner self? Or are we preparing to fail by looking at just what's in front of us right now? So let me bring this all together. How do you get results? Firstly, what is it that you want? Be specific. Secondly, find out where God promises you can have that. If he promises it, he's not moving. He's not changing. 
He intends for you to have that. Faith begins where the will of God is known. So that's what we need to know. Thirdly, ask. Ask going to a father that you know that whatever you've done, whatever mess you've made, even if you cause the thing you're trying to pray about right now, even if you cause your own sickness by your own stupidity, God is there waiting with mercy. He's not going to turn around and say, I'm not doing anything because it's your fault. And he's waiting to release grace. So we can go boldly before the throne. Because Jesus has paid for that and he's opened that way. But we, we, we do that because we are people that love him and know him and know how to go before the throne. Practical teaching. And then what do we do? We fight the fight of faith. We refuse doubt and fear. We learn to doubt our doubts. And finally, we see that which is unseen. We see ourselves as succeeding and, 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 and seeing the result of what we have paid for, not dwelling on the imaginations and looking at all the things that are contrary to what God says is mine. And, and if we'll do that, we'll see a massive change. The reality of the body and power of Christ in you is there are more than enough people in this room to save this entire nation. But we're not going to do it by natural means and better organisation and management skills and how much money we can throw at doing church because surely we have learnt by now all that is doing is making the church smaller in this land. People who don't believe Jesus do not want to see how good we can do a concert because they're used to Taylor Swift and Coldplay. We're not them. They want to see the power of God and the reality of a body of believers who will commit to do the things in God's word, like love each other, not get offended with each other, not carry bitterness with each other, not fall out with each other, not have goals at each other. Over and over again these last few months, I have heard story after story of an unbeliever experiencing contact with Christians and being really turned off God as a result. That should not be. Jesus is attractive. It's our flesh that's unattractive. We need to up our game, guys. So, I make no... Let's stand. I'm going to just get you to do three de declarations. Say these after me and then we're done. Unless the Holy Spirit wants, you know. I could be here another hour, but I'm not. Number one, here we go. I am making no provision for the flesh. I am making no provision for the flesh. Okay, that sounded vaguely enthusiastic. <laughs> Let's try a bit more enthusiasm on number two. I am making no provision for failure. I am making no provision for failure. 
Number three, biggie. I am a faith person, not a fail person. I am a faith person, not a fail person. Let's do it again. I am a faith person, not a fail person. I am a faith person, not a fail person. I am a faith person, not a fail person. So enemy, you take all your stuff and you get out of my head right now. So enemy, take all your stuff and get out of my head right now. I am trusting the one who promises and will never change. I am trusting the one who promises. And if I have to stand forever, I will stand forever till I see it. And if I have to stand forever, I will stand forever until I see it. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.